Welcome to Sound and Vision. Conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join us for spring 2023 marathons in drawing and sculpture from January 17th to the 27th. Rigorous and immersive, marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time daily and present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive first-hand discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylics and mediums, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints in New Berlin, New York. An employee-owned company, Golden is dedicated to making the best paints that artists can use in their studios. I've been painting with Golden for over 23 years, and I swear by it. Check out their paints at your local art store or at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. They make amazing coffee and ship their beans to your doorstep so you can have incredible coffee at home. I'm an avid coffee drinker, and I love the coffee that I get from Fulcrum through their subscription service. There's always new coffee to try, and it's always top quality. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com and add the code ALFREDSTUDIO to your order, and you'll get 20% off. That's a pretty great deal. Fulcrumcoffee.com Why I Make Art is out now. My book from the Sound and Vision podcast has features on 30 artists I've interviewed, tons of quotes from the artists I've had on the pod, and even some sketches from the Sound and Vision guest book. It's 25 bucks well spent in my opinion. You can get it wherever you get books or from the publisher's website, atelieredition.com. And if you get it or already have it, please leave a review and rating where you got it. It's been an amazing response from the book and I hope it gives you inspiration in the studio or in your daily life. Susan Shutan is a Connecticut-based artist, curator, educator, and recipient of multiple grants, including an ArtsLink grant, an Art Matters grant, a Berkshire Taconic Foundation grant, two New York Foundation for Contemporary Art grants, and three Connecticut Commission Artist Fellowships. She has attended artist residencies at the Bemis Foundation, Yado, and Proyecto Ace in Argentina. Her work has been featured in 23 solo exhibits, including Zacheta National Gallery in Warsaw, Poland, the Aldrich Museum in Connecticut, the Painting Center in New York, the University of Massachusetts Hampton Gallery in Amherst, the Islip Art Museum in New York, the Kenise Barnes Gallery, the Garrison Art Center, the Housatonic Museum in Connecticut, Five Point Center for the Visual Arts, the Arts and Cultural Center of Florida, and has had work exhibited in 198 group exhibitions throughout Germany, Poland, the Ukraine, France, Holland, Australia, Canada, Argentina, Colombia, and the United States. Her work has been published in the books, paper, art, installations, two post-road literary books, and has been reviewed by Smithsonian Magazine, Sculpture Magazine, The New York Times, 
Art New England Magazine, Artscope, High Performance, and blogs such as Artspiel and Yale University Radio Praxis, Museum of Non-Visible Art. Public commissions include Log Me In headquarters in Boston and the Sloan Kettering Hospital in New York, and her work can be found in private and museum collections as well as viewed on Artsy, First Dibs, Geoform, and Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn, and at SusanChutan.com. Susan has worked as a museum director and curator of education, director of a municipal public art program, and has taught at RISD, the University of Massachusetts, the University of Nebraska, Quinnipiac University, and currently teaches in low-residency MFA programs, including Leslie College at Harvard, and has taught sculpture for 15 years at Housatonic Community College. I spoke to Susan about early days at CalArts, working between 2D and 3D, feminism, jazz musicians, salsa dancing, good pizza, and much more. Here's our conversation. Yeah, I was just saying that I saw that you played music, but I don't know what kind, but I know you're really into jazz and just off the cuff. I was so into jazz in um, uh, when I was in undergrad school and mm-hmm. grad school. I dated people in the jazz world that were pretty well known. Nice. Any, yeah, I dated I this guy, David Schnitter, who was saxophone player. He played mm-hmm. with Art Blakey in the Jazz Messengers. He oh, was a that's... jazz messenger. And nice. we're still really good friends. We talk to each other all the time. Was he and, on any of the um, early records or was yeah. he recorded? Oh, yeah, wow. he was recorded. No, he, he was like really big time. And then I dated uh, Richard Sussman of the Richard Sussman Quartet. Mm-hmm. He's taught at um, Columbia and at uh, Manhattan School of Music. And uh, oh, I have great stories. I mean, stories when we were on Martha's Vineyard and we were in Nantucket and, you know, because they played with a lot of jazz bands and where yeah. we hung out, we shared a cottage with the Brubeck brothers. And that was oh, just wow. really interesting. And the person that was really into jazz in the, when I was in um, a CalArts uh, undergrad was uh, Via Selmans was my teacher at that time. She was actually on my graduate committee. Uh-huh. and. We, we kind of became friendly. And so I remember saying to her one day, like, do you want to go with me to hear jazz in LA? And she was like, yeah, and we just started going often. And actually that's where I met David, you know, cause they yeah. were out there for a month doing a gig and then we connected and then used to go hiking and stuff, you know, and yeah. time off. Is that's it so just- cool to, to meet, you know, well, A, that you got to meet him there, but also to have a professor that you have that you know, you could bond over music. Oh, it was amazing. We went to the Magic Castle, too. Nice. I mean, we used to do a lot of stuff together, you know, and there were a few. I mean, it was CalArts, so it was at a time, you know, like the, its heyday, you know, yeah. where um, just it was a very thin line between faculty and students. Right, those Everyone days. kind of merged, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the whole different. It's funny because when I was an undergrad student, we would try to convince some of our professors to go down to the bar after crits and like talk because after a couple pints, they would tell you stories and they were great, you know? And I I feel like that era has passed. (laughs) Yeah, it really does seem that way. I've invited students to come back to my studio and hang out like after, you know, graduating, you know, and, or after a semester, you know, like saying, you know, do you want to do, we could do like an end, of semester party at my studio and they're all like yeah but then in the end it's like they just want to go home you right. know they 
It's different. It's weird. It is. It it's is. Weird. It's, it's so a, different. It's a different. You mentality. would really think that they'd want to hang out and get to know you, and you know, just it's like such a whole other level to be able to do it on. You know, we were like thrilled when, when that when that would happen. Oh my gosh, we we just felt really special. You know, and oh, yeah, it was, it was great because you really got to know. Um, you know, you you got to know your professors so much better. There Which I don't think happens that. in a lot of other genres. You know, I think yeah. art's different in that sense. Yeah. Maybe music and theater, but, yeah. you know, it's not like you're getting to know your calculus teacher or statistics right. or something. Like hanging out drinking after statistics final exam, that would be weird. Right. Although There's... I had a science teacher mm -hmm. um, when I was in high school. And I did really well in his class because he was really kind of into aerophysics, but just also like this mindset, which was really interesting. And he was into this thing called Jane Seth material, mm -hmm. Jane Roberts. And, um, and he wanted me to come with him to a session with Jane Roberts, which I was totally into. And I remember my parents saying, no, you're not going to go with me. Who the hell, who <laughs> right. is Jane Roberts? What the hell is this? You know, yeah. they, they really freaked out. And they're yeah. like, no, they put the kibosh on it. And they were, you know, like I didn't get a chance to study with him the next year, which really upset me. Yeah. I think my parents probably had a say in that. And that was too bad because I, you know, I mean, I really sometimes wonder, would my career have gone a different way, you know, right. had I just been allowed to continue science and do the thing, do some of these outside extracurricular things with them? Yeah. You know, it's, it's there, there's that bad side of like maybe being overproductive in that sense. But but then it was a little Wild West back then. For especially, I imagine for women, because I know the stories when I yes. was an undergrad. So, in a way, yeah. it's like you, you feel like some of the energy and excitement and kind of like community has been diluted a bit. Yeah, but yeah. a lot of that that other side of the coin is like I think has been you know taken not completely taken away, but you know it, it seemed like it, it has. It, ran rampant back then so it's good that that's been nipped in the bud yes you know? yes yes thank so god like, right you know everything's kind of like good about yeah. like it it's kind of evens <laughs> out i think in a way you lose some you gain. like i tell students sometimes when after our final crits you know we would just go in the studio we would just we even we we just slept up there all the time in the studios and like partied yes, and yes. Like it was a mix yes, of social too. and you know and work yes and, in community and now that that yeah. just would never happen i know it's such a shame we really really like you said we really kind of stayed connected and did things together i remember when i was at rutgers um they moved us to a building that had asbestos oh nice and, yeah right exactly <laughs> little garnish on your <laughs> right right Jeez. and we all really really demonstrated and we rallied and we took to the streets and we called like the newspapers and the radio and we made like a huge splash yeah. to the point where they moved us they moved us into a building that was asbestos free until they could get the asbestos out of the building they wanted us to be in right so i mean talk about joining forces you know yeah yeah it's a different now everyone just be like i'm just staying home i know <laughs> i'm just I not know. coming in i don't feel like yeah. that's my environment it wouldn't be the exactly. fight to change it as much as it would be like i'm i'm not taking part 
Right. Uh, it's a different mindset, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so, but you could, did you grow up in Connecticut? Is that right? I did. I grew up in Connecticut and um, I lived here. I grew up and I kind of, after I graduated high school, um, I went to a college for one year, Payer College of Art. And at the same time, I was taking classes in anthropology and archaeology at a local college, which is now a university. And I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I mean, I thought I wanted to work in archaeology, really. I had worked on a dig in excavation when I was 16 years old. I kind of won a contest to a teen magazine contest <laughs> to go abroad and work on an excavation. And I really thought I wanted to do that. But then I kind of, you know, felt in some ways like art encompassed it all. Yeah. And um, I wanted to really cut the umbilical cord. So I applied to only schools in California, 3,000 oh, miles yeah. away, right? You're like, I'm getting <laughs> and, out of here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I got accepted to a few schools like San Francisco Art Institute, Otis, but I really wanted to go to CalArts because I just felt like they were, with what I read about them, their thinking was kind of out of the box. And I came, the school that I had taken a year of art classes in was very traditional. It was like Trompe-Lloyd. And, you know, yeah. when they had the graduate show, it looked like a one-person show because right. everyone did the, the same, same thing. So I felt like I learned technique really well. I just wanted to get into an environment that was really more about the ideas, more conceptually based. So where and was, that was it. what year did you hit there? I hit there, I went um, in 19, so I graduated in 72 from high school and I, you know, did this when I was in Connecticut and then I went out to CalArts in 1974 and mm -hmm. I was there from 74 to 77, um, three years because they, three and a half years, they, they accelerated me a semester and graduated me a semester earlier, but I stayed around to 78 because I wanted to walk with my class. And that was, I mean, what is going on at that point? Like, is it, it, I mean, it's it was, pretty. It was Baldessari. It was conceptualism. Right? It yeah. was, yeah. yeah. Burden? It was, was the burden it, stuff going on? Yeah. Yeah. Burden Boy, stuff. Vito Conchi was going on with him in the gallery, you know, behind the scenes, oh, yeah, masturbating. Yeah. It was all of that. Yeah. All that business. Well, yeah. speaking of things that wouldn't happen anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. Vito canceled in the New York second. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's funny how in retrospect I mean because I remember being in school and hearing about the conchi stuff and the burden shot piece and all that and just be like whoa man this is like punk this is crazy you know and yeah. nowadays you're just like whoa that's it has a whiff of toxic masculinity yeah yeah it was really <laughs> over the top I went into I went to his performance in LA where it was you know where he was masturbating and you didn't see him and it was like oh my god I felt so uncomfortable, you know, and I think a lot of other women around me were like really edgy about it. So, yeah. but it was, I kept thinking, okay, I have to find a way in to understand this, you know, um, to try to get beyond my, I guess, conservatism about it, you know, right. but, but it was uncomfortable and it would never fly today. Oh no. And I was wondering, like, is it actually going on? Like, is it just, you know, no, it was going on. Oh, was it being filmed or something? I think. How do they know? Was there like a, I, was there a checker? <laughs> was <someone yeah>. monitoring? 
God, that's yeah, terrible. Yeah, I think there was, I mean, he was behind some stairs, as I recall, and we just went into this big open space, and it was projected. I think it was on a microphone, as I recall, being projected into the open space. Oh, brutal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it happens, but does, does it really need to happen in that venue? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But it did. It did. And it's still, you know, I mean, it's, it's people guess, are still attempting stuff, you know? Yeah. You know, those kind of, I'm sure, you know, for how, whatever that was in retrospect, those kind of things do leave an imprint on you as far as like your, as a viewer or as a, you know, participant in art making, they, they, those things for good or for bad or whatever, they, they do have a, an impact. I, they resonate. They when do. I was an undergrad at Penn state, there was a graduate student. I forget her name. I apologize. But she yeah. did this performance piece and it was her, I think it was her thesis, you know, show. And there were two old, those old school tube TVs playing footage of slaughterhouses, which was oh, wow. brutal. And then she yeah. came out and I believe it was like a wedding dress and she had a crown of thorns and she pulled sausages out from under her dress and put them on the crown of thorns and the blood would like come down. And oh, boy, wow. that wow. really, I don't think it was a total coincidence that I became vegetarian like a week later. <laughs> and that was like in the early nineties and I've never looked back. <laughs> it really as like a young student i was like wow that yeah you know i'll never forget it yeah i know that impact is just it's intense you know i never forgot those things and and what's odd is at cal arts at the time they had women's woman's house so Miriam shapiro and all you know all these amazing women that were yeah. there doing woman's house and then there was that other dichotomy right the dudes yeah, the dude, but <laughs> the that would club. have that would have horrified me. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, no, it's those things like. I mean, it, that it, reminds me of a story when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. My father's a butcher. Oh boy. <laughs> he went into his father's business, mm -hmm. and, and you know how kids, you know, you do like visits to your parents, like place of business, and you bring, bring your the kid class. To work day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, where you bring the class, like the whole class goes oh, the to whole business. Class goes. Right, yeah, right, that's right. what it used to be. And so I volunteered my dad's business and no one really knew what it was. And they, well, they came in out. and there were like big <laughs> sides of beef that were split open on hooks with Whoa. sawdust and blood on the floors. And it was like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh, I mean, the God. kids like were horrified and screamed. And <laughs> that was the end of that visit. But I had to throw it out because of the story you just right, said. Right, right. Many of vegans <laughs> were made that day. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> no, that's fun. I mean, yeah, I guess, though, you know, in thinking about that kind of like performance in that environment you're in, you, I think that... The thing, at least for me, and seeing things like that, uh, it it kind of informs you of how potent, how potent and potential, and kind of like searing, like artwork or or yes. being an artist, like that can be in your mind. Which yes. I I think there's plenty of people who are never exposed to that sort of thing, and they just don't ever think that they just think art is like this hobby thing. That's you know right. But you but see the, searing, the impact. Yeah, yeah. Searing is the right word. Absolutely. Yeah, it it just really burns kind into of, your brain. It does. It does. What were you doing at CalArts, though? Like, what, what was your work like? Um, 
so when I got there, you know, I just wanted to break with the tradition that I had known. So I started working in fabric and making soft sculpture and um, making really big soft sculpture. But unlike, you know, Oldenburg and his wife, um, I was making like eight foot and 10 foot pieces all out of like velvets and fabric that had definitely had a feminist edge to it. Mm-hmm. And they were things that I wanted you to touch and to feel and pockets and areas that you could go in. And, you know, they were shapes that looked like teardrops, but they were vaginal and they were other shapes. Um, they were sculpture. It was like literally hanging sculpture and just big, huge um, floor sculptures that were like four and five feet sculptural pieces. And uh, I did two things, actually. I did sculpture and then... I painted like two really, like I worked two dimensionally and then three dimensionally. I didn't know how to merge those two things at that yeah. time. And it took me a long time to figure it out, years and years. But um, so I just like since then have always kind of worked these two separate ways. And my paintings were, um, I mean, I worked in oils for a long time and then I kind of ended up going over acrylic. but. They were semi-abstract um, at first, and they were really just about light. They were very dark. It was really about dark spaces and just like slits um, of of like electrifying light, like really. And those colors I still use in my work, you know, like kind of pulsating colors, you know, like lime green and carrot orange and things these are colors i grew up with actually they were colors that were carpeting in my parents home oh wow (laughs) ingrained (laughs) so really talk about seeping and searing in you know they've influenced my colors all my life um because it's what was comfortable and familiar even though they were so loud um and then later on and the reason why i got accelerated a semester was i did these really large like super large um kind of animations they were storyboards they were about five feet and six feet yeah about five and six feet and by like 20 feet and they were storyboards and they were very flat not painterly even though i had started off being very painterly and they were somewhat narrative and somewhat figurative but very loosely and um and they were really interesting. No one was doing anything like that at the time. And um, and that's what got me accelerated. And I, they were, you know, I still have a few of them. Were they on there campus was actually, or were they on paper? They were on paper. Yeah. They were on paper, really large rolls of paper. And um, I, I've always been drawn to paper for some reason. It just, it's always been a medium that feels more comfortable than canvas to me. even though some of the things that I made um, that were sculptural were with canvas included in the materials. Um, But, um, you know, there was a gallery that is really famous now. She was just opening up in L.A. at that time, and she was really interested in my work upon graduation. And, you know, I had no one to help me or advise me of what to do, and she wanted to rep my work. And there was one catch, and that was that I had to stay and live in L.A. And that was right when I had 
made arrangements and sent stuff to New York City to live after mm -hmm. graduating. And it was like, I just was stupid. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, I remember being really torn about what to do. And, um, but thinking, oh, I had to be in New York. That's where you had to be if you were going to be an artist, you know, especially in those days. There was definitely an art scene in LA, but it was a smaller scene, you yeah. know. That gallery is uh, Shoshana. Shoshana Wayne. Uh, yeah. 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 Was the, uh, the, was the Furious Gallery still around then? What, what was the Furious called? Gallery? Yeah. 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 It was. And there were all the galleries, LA Louvre and everything. And, you know, that that was all happening right. in yeah. you know in uh venice area stuff yep. you know santa monica yeah that's kind of but it was a much smaller scene there you know um was the desire do you think i don't know if you know this or not but was do you think her desire for hey you could show with me but you got to be here was that for like not having to ship the work or was that for having studio visits or like what was the the mindset there i mean it's foreign think, now because now you can live any i mean people are like whatever i know you know the world's pretty small but i think yeah. she wanted to be able to have studio visits and yeah. see my work and see it as it was growing and developing and um <clears throat> you know at that point everyone i knew like you know most of the artists that i went to school with um some of them became really well known too um you know that everyone was moving to new york so i was really really torn um I mean, my whole life would have changed, really, and yeah. I could have really maybe lived as an artist. You know, the artist I am made a living that way had I done that. But, you know, I remember going to my teachers and they were like, well, if you want to be in New York, go to New York. I mean, there, I didn't get the advice that I needed. I really needed someone to guide me, and I didn't have that. I was just too young. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. tough because, well, I mean, maybe they thought, too, well, New York, you know, you could go there and there's like a, you know, a different potency to the art world in that sense. Right. You always get the grass is greener on the other side kind of vibe. I know. No, you could have just FaceTimed her from your New York studio. Yeah, <laughs> right. Isn't it crazy so back nice. then? No, yeah, there was no nothing. Pictures. No phones, no cell phones. No email pictures. No like, email. No, the work it was would just the old-fashioned phone. Yeah. You'd be like, it oh, well, that's everything. what it looks like. <laughs> It was all snail mail. Oh, it's crazy, right? It's <laughs> how things have changed. Now it's like yeah. they know exactly what they're getting. They know how much work, what it looks like, all that stuff. We had to do slides at that time. We did slides and we yeah, did um, uh, um, uh, the big, you know, what was it? Three four by, by fives? Yeah, it's a four by four fives. By fives. Is that what they were called? Yeah, yeah I, I think know they were like, four by fives. Yeah. yeah That's how you did it then you know it's oh, crazy i still have a whole bunch of them that i need to really get transferred oh, i used to have my slides i don't know if i have them anymore i have them somewhere maybe buried in my studio but yeah slides yeah. were a real pain in the ass and you had yeah. to like label them and make sure they're dotted in the right corner and if right. they weren't the right way like schools like grad schools wouldn't look at them or you know it's like it's, i know i know oh god and the labels that you'd have to make and they had to be typed up and oh that took endless yeah endless time well I, we weren't on you know facebook or or myspace right. or geo cities or anything we did right. <laughs> nothing was right, keeping right. us quite as busy so you can spend a little time on your slide carousel yeah yeah absolutely yeah when yeah, i was really. in uh when i was in grad school i was the liaison the visiting artist liaison and uh bryce martin I was came too. and i had to take their carousel you know i had to prepare yes. their lecture for them 
and uh you know he gave me his carousel and his you would just put the carousel in they were loaded you know and we got to the lecture and the first slide came and he's like no it's a small it's a small group you know there's not too too many people there he's like this is wrong this is upside down and like everyone looks at me (laughs) i was like i didn't touch the thing i didn't do (laughs) you messed it up not me (laughs) like blame me for it ever since then i've been a little a little i've had a uh, uh, you know, a slightly yeah, that's so crooked not eye cool. towards Bryce Martin. Yeah, yeah. I know some yeah. artists were like, you know, would would give you a little stink, you know. And some yeah. were really cool. Like Fred Tomaselli was one of the coolest guys that came up. Oh, I had a uh, '64 wow. Plymouth Valiant, like a push button, and he got in that car. I figured it was a good icebreaker, you know. And he got in that car, and he's like, "Oh man, he's got," you know, he's talking about the car. Just a really. Oh cool my guy. God, what a great car. I mean, that's totally amazing. And Fred Tomaselli, God, I love his work. Um, you know, it's interesting because I did what you did in grad school at Rutgers. Oh, you were that, the liaison? Yes, yes. And let me tell you, I also experienced that as well. And I yeah. remember the um, <clears throat> the school didn't have a budget, like it was a really small budget. And I kept saying, well, you know, they wanted the artists to come around noon and that's like lunchtime and i said well is there anything that you know what can we do we got to feed them something and there was supposedly no budget i made my own sandwiches because i was so embarrassed and then would bring it and would make like a little picnic so i could sit down with them you know on the grounds and like just talk a little bit and give them something because you know that's very nice but it's great you got to connect i felt like it was a great gig because you yes. get to connect. And I was pretty shy back then. I wasn't quite as outgoing as I am now. So I don't know how yeah. I had the, the gumption to do it. But it was great. I met some great people. Me too. And you meet some divas. You get to, yes. it teaches you about, you know, how to be and how not to be whenever you get a little bit of recognition. And which is funny because in the art world, you could be the most famous artist. No one gives a shit about you. No one knows who you are. You know what I, I mean? Know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. a famous artist, really. Right, it's like right. it's ridiculous, but some people were were owning it. Their little bit yeah. of fame, you know. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, and then it, what was really bad is when I didn't know who the artist was with their little Oops. bit of fame. Yeah, yeah. And it was like you know, <laughs> and then I just remember thinking, Oh God, they're really pulling rank. Why are they behaving this way? Right. You know, it's not nice. You know, I gave them a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? Right, right. <laughs> you know. Like a show at Pays Gallery. Who cares? I made these sandwiches. Really? <laughs> but it was a good gig. I, I think yeah, it was. It, was. A, it, was a, it teaches you, like little things like that teach you a lot of stuff about, you know. Yeah. And you get a time, chance. All that stuff. And the people that are really like, you know, great that open up, like probably Fred did, you know, you get a chance to hopefully, you know, talk with them about like their life and their gig and how they got started. And totally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, like Richard Phillips was a really great visitor and he was in the wow. fact that like, you know, I played music and stuff and we've been friends since, you know, like, you know, and and then some people come in and you can't connect with them and it sort of teaches you how to, I don't know, to deal with people that maybe are a little less open or easy to speak and to. And are just more difficult. Yeah. 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 How to get them to open up. That's true. Did you have a uh, uh, good visiting artists at? We did. I'm trying to remember. Oh, CalArts, we had amazing, amazing people coming through. And most of them would come through for, if not a semester, like a year. Oh, they so, did that I mean, I, year gig. 
That's cool. Oh yeah, they so do the year gig. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes two years. Like Elizabeth Murray was, you know, one of my painting teachers at the time. I mean, yeah. she really influenced the work that I do, especially now. And um, I studied with Susan Rothenberg uh, and Via Selman. So those were some of the two-dimensional artists. They had William Wegman coming through. Um, was that guy funny? I feel oh, like he would have been really. Funny. He is so funny, and just he was so open. And you know, he brought his dog with him, Man Ray, at the time. You know, That's so brand. <laughs> Man Ray really hung with him. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's really. It wasn't fake. He was really into no, the dog. No, he loved thing. his dog. Yeah, really loved his dogs. Like really, you know, yeah. He he was just completely a dog person and really sincerely committed. And then Jonathan Borofsky was there for like oh, a yeah. year. I think he might have been there a little longer. You know, they were all visiting artists, but they were there. I studied with him. I studied with Linda Bangless, who at the time was making her hermaphrodite dog video. Whoa. And she did that art format, right? Yes. Wasn't yes, that she in did 74, the, 75? Yes, I think it, exactly. And it was huge. It was like major. No that was, a, yeah, yeah, that was... <laughs> Yeah, that and was then, an epic. Yeah, I mean, that was I, really epic. I'm sure you fed. I mean, I and I was going to ask you the work that you were doing because you said it had this feminist sort of <coughs> touchstone, like you know, base to it. Was it? Do you feel like it was in the the cultural air of feminism and like women and empowerment of trying to like, or it, or was a lot of it just pushback to all that like dude energy that was just so like you know, like that man. Uh, yeah, you know. What yeah. I mean. Was a like little a, bit of both. A little bit of both, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of both. I mean, I was one of the only women down there taking shop at the time. Mike yeah. Kelly was my TA. Holy shit. I mean, you're name dropping some some golden eggs here. I this was is there awesome. with really amazing people. Of, I was friendly yeah. with, um, uh, uh, you know, like, um, oh, God, I'm going blank on everyone's name right now. Um, Tony Ausler. I was oh, friends yeah. with Tony Elser and Jonathan Lasker. You know, they were people that I hung out with and Sue Williams. Well, um, Sue Williams, I, I, how amazing. Yeah, she is really amazing. I mean, incredible. that work started out and where it went, you know, just really. It's incredible where it went. A lot of them, you know, I lost touch with when they moved to New York, even though kind of in the beginning we all hung out together. But, you know, people make it and, you know. They fall by the wayside. You fall by the wayside. Their wayside. Um, but well, in New um, York too, it's hard to keep up with people. Just, it it's is. so because you're just treading water just to stay afloat all the time. Yeah, you are. You are. It's hard to go. I mean, some people are good at it, going out and working and socializing all the time, but I it know. ain't easy. I mean, there's, no, there's only so really. many hours in a day. Right. Right. Exactly. And then it was so much about you know, it still is. I'm sure today going to art galleries and going to openings and being seen and in those days you know like i mean people were either picked right up or they really followed you they wanted to follow you and follow your work for a real long time like sometimes two and three years they wanted yeah. to see what you did they didn't just take you right in i mean i was followed by a lot of really good people and you know just you know then things happen like you know galleries broke up and stuff like that so right. just, i was always the bridesmaid and not the bride you know 
<laughs> yeah, but you're still in the game. Like you're still. I am still it. in the game. It's I've true. had some some good mentors over the years of people who've been yeah. in it for a long time, and they you know yeah. they just tell you just stay in it. Like you just yeah. have to. It's like being in the ocean on a surfboard. You just gotta ride the wave, and sometimes it's gonna die down, but you just have to stay on the board. You know. Yeah. And yeah, I've I've I always. Know. I uh, thought that was really great advice because, you know, everyone, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to have your ups and downs. But if you yeah. bail, you're done, you're out, you know? Yeah, you're out. And, you know, for me, it was always about making the work. I mean, it's just like when I did not make artwork, I just felt so out of sorts with myself. I felt like a part of myself internally was dying, you know? Yeah, yeah was totally. always, always needing to make work, whether, you know, of course, like the icing on the cake is really getting it out there, having a chance to show and get feedback and, you know, hopefully get reviewed as feedback. And, um, you know, of course, you know, everyone's dream getting picked up, you know. Right. By, really represented. By a movie star? Oh, no, you gal. <laughs> got it. <laughs> <laughs> that too. That's happened. Oh, my gosh. You know. Yeah, yeah. The art world, you know, the marrying in to all of it. You know, it's funny because I, yeah, but it's, I, I would imagine it was so different in like the 70s and 80s, especially the the 80s really felt like, yeah, I mean, because the 80s, I mean, it's a little before my time as far as that's concerned, but the perception would be that, you know, it was a pretty small club of people. And since the money was flooding in, yeah, there was stuff happening, but it was like, there was gatekeeping going on there where it was, you know. I'm sure Definitely. it was hard to crack into. I mean, now it feels like everything uh, at once. And- as a woman, especially, really hard to crack into, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was the whole CalArts Mafia, you know? Like, you know, all the guys that broke into the art world, Sally and everybody, you know, um, Goldstein. And, you know, they, I mean, they were there all helping each other. There were amazing women doing amazing progressive work at that time in some ways even beyond what they were doing that you know just didn't have that same opportunity it was really tough you know to be taken seriously as a woman yeah i mean i yeah i can't imagine i you know i used to show for a new york minute with uh mary boone and you know think what you want of mary pregnant pause um but she to do it in that environment i mean you have to be a the you know you have to be oh, made of yeah a certain you have metal, to have you know right right absolutely I'm I mean sure it was, was incredible what she did you know yeah. she kind of bulldozed the scene which bravo to her you know she came in <laughs> with a sellout show that was unheard of you know to open up with sellout shows yeah that was just unheard of at the time that really put her on the map and I just really thought like good for her. But, you yeah. know, Paula Cooper was out there doing it. She's still doing it. You still know, she's doing it, yeah. Amazing. You yeah, know, I, don't, amazing. I don't know Paula Cooper, but uh, I know some artists who've shown there, and, and that is quite the legacy, you know, of yeah, being able to, real to be in it that long. It's it's really impressive. I, I guess Pat Hearn her. was amazing, too. I mean, I never... Pat Hearn, totally. Oh, yeah. she had really cutting-edge things. And matter of fact, Bard Gallery... I mean, Bard College, they, their museum did an amazing show of Pat Hearn's, you know, what she had at her gallery a number of years ago. It was just really, it was so eye-opening, you know, you kind of forgot how much she was on the cutting edge right. with the work that she was showing at the time. Really strong. Yeah. And a lot you know, of tech space work, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Um, yeah. I mean, gr- being in that environment and living through that in your gestation period of as an artist, as you're, yeah. you know, like coming of age and like finding a sense, usually in school is where you start to find your voice, you know? I mean, yes. for some people it happens earlier or later, but generally that's where a lot of it happens. I mean, in seeing the environment now, do you feel like, obviously we're nowhere near parody, but do you feel better about like the conditions now? I feel like the conditions are really, yes, on some levels, yes, really greatly ripe for artists of color and LGBTQ, you know, trans, you know, um, and women. It's still, I think still women sometimes struggle, you know, yeah. they're still not in the museums they, that that should be having retrospectives of people's work, you know, just... Um, that that needs to happen much more and there are a lot of women at the top of the helm that really you just one could hope that they'll bring these people in you know right. that are really important that need to have their retrospects but yeah it's much more open there's much more opportunity there's more chance it's it's great you know i'm so glad the art world has come this long way um, and, you know, it's interesting. I, I just really wonder where it's going to go. The art world, you know, depends on and thrives on their their donors and their their trustees. And um, it's really interesting what's happened with, you know, just, you know, the trustees being called out over the years. And um, that's, wow, I never thought I'd see that, you know, in my lifetime. It's pretty amazing that it's happened and that um, you know, some of them have been derailed as a result, and you know, rightly so. Like the whole, um, oh God, I'm going blank on her name with the drugs. The, um, oh, the yeah, artist. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, God. Um, oh, I can I'm see her in my brain. Blanks on oh, <laughs> it's, it's I know exactly when what this happens. About. Oh, my God. And she really just, she's a photographer. Oh, she's so well known. Uh, anyway, um, she really went to town and, you know, so many of her friends died through, um, the whole, um, uh, oxycodone thing. And, and yeah. it's great. It's in some ways really great that that was able to happen. And, you know, the family got dismantled. Those things do need to happen, you know, and, and they need to happen more. And then you wonder, you know, how will these institutions thrive? I mean, it's kind of a catch 22. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, it. I was teaching a seminar class and I think one of the students was talking about one of the guys was saying, oh, well, you know, women, women show in galleries. Like, what's the complaining about? It's all better. And I was like, no, it's not. And then I had them do a thing where they, they bring in the name of their favorite gallery that shows a lot of artists they like. And then we put those all up on sheets of newsprint and then wrote out the rosters. And then oh, did the great. the sort of gender check on that, and it was oh, that's so good to, to go. see how many women they were actually showing. That's great to do that and to yeah, put it in that context. You, it's not even. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, not it, even it's, at there's all. There's a lot of work to be done. I mean, the Gorilla Girls really tried to you know get it out there and and make it well known. They still, um, to some extent, do. You know, um, they were really active about you know, bringing it to the forefront, which is great. And there are still other people that, you know, are trying, you know, yeah. so, but it still has a ways to go. I mean, yeah. Definitely. And, you know, and then, yeah, there's issues and, you know, issues, maybe some of it is ageism with women in the art world, you know, 
I just wonder, you know, these women, a lot of them have been around for so long and they've done amazing things and they're still in the game. And why haven't they gotten their retrospects? You know, yeah. Like you have to wonder sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I I think those things still exist, you know, those problems. Yeah, definitely. No, it's going to be an endless battle. You know what I mean? Because, you know, the sexism and, you know, men are going to be men. Yeah. <laughs> they're still often in you, you know, can, making you can course the decisions correct some, at the top. But you know, yeah. there's gonna be a sensibility there and yeah, uh, yeah you know. It's, and I it's, applaud uh, those men who have that sensibility, you know, good for them that yeah. they you know yeah, I'm sure some of you know, some of them yeah. But you know, it's a funny side note. I don't ever really I in response to this podcast, I, I rarely get, usually I get messages of people like, oh, I like this or I like that or, or this was cool, that was cool. And then I remember one time I got a message a few years ago and it was uh, someone on social media sent me a message and was like, you know, I really love the podcast. It's really great, but um, it's just really dude heavy. Can you kind of like, I love hearing from women too. Can you kind of not have it like the art world where it's so dude heavy? And oh, like, right. I, you know, I was at a rest stop driving back from teaching in Pennsylvania and I was like, I felt like, damn, I feel like I try to, you know what I mean? To try to have good stats on that. Like I want to be inclusive. There. I was really worked up the rest of the drive home, got home, went onto my podcast page and looked and it was like, there were like three more guys than women. And I was like, that's not bad. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's not bad at all. I mean, you've interviewed amazing. I went way back into, you know, your early episodes. I mean, you've interviewed tons of women. You've been really very, very open. And also just, I think you do consciously, it looks like, you know, consciously you try to really be very fair-minded, not only about women, but just, you know, um, genders and color people artists of color and yeah. everything i mean you're really it's great that yeah, you're well, i want to hear all the voices and the only the only thing i can say that people don't know too sometimes is i would there's a lot of artists of color or you know or women that will say no and i get it or just be like well wow. i'm not really ready or there's a hesitancy to talk so you know it's sometimes the numbers aren't even, you know, you, you, you try to do better than you possibly can at times. So. Yeah. But anyways, I Isn't think it's that so interesting. Important. Yeah, I know. I, I that you get got it. turned down by some people. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, who would, oh. who would turn, why would people turn me down? <laughs> I'm relatively nice. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, I get got, it. Some people I, feel... I did it a long time ago myself. Oh, yeah. I, you know, with, yeah, with, um, Gorky's granddaughter oh, at the right. very very beginning yeah. they came to me but because you had to be filmed and right. I'm a bit overweight oh, um, you I just didn't want to be on unfi- well I was very self-conscious I still am to the extent but you know much more than uh, you know so I yeah I thought uh, like I oh you. god this yeah. is going to live on yeah I don't like being on film either it's I, I joke that I have a face for radio it, it's just it's not comfortable a lot of people feel uncomfortable on film yeah you know yeah but to the point of these the people who were hesitant I get it these days because nowadays anyone will take something you say as like a sound like not really I think in the art world or in this podcast or art podcast or what but I do think yeah. in general culture there is a lot of cancellation and people like there taking is. something you say out of context and like 
and I tell people I've, you know, I put my foot in my mouth so many times that if that's going to happen, it's going to happen. I can't not talk or be out there. You know what I mean? Because of fear of that, but I understand why some people are sketched out about it and they're like, you know what? I don't want to say anything. I'm just going to let the word speak for itself. Yeah. I, I understand that to the extent also, but you know, and it's too bad. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of a lost opportunity and I kick myself sometimes for it. Yeah. You know, it was just, and you know, but, but I, you know, I like, I really have a bit of an issue with it, even, you know, being any kind of center of attention, like my opening stuff. I just want to, I want to be a wallflower. I just want to hide in a corner, you know? Yeah. But it's so important, I think for people's voices and that's the beauty of artists I find. Because yeah. if anyone ever says like, oh, aren't you getting tired? Are you are you almost done? <laughs> and I'm like, no, because everyone's so different. Oh and God, it's so important yeah. for people to be able to hear people's stories because everyone's going through some shit. Everyone's got their hangups. Right. Right. And if you never hear anyone talking about that stuff, then you feel like you're alone in a void. You know what I mean? Yes. But if you hear, you know, people whose work you admire or someone that's been around the block for a couple decades and yeah. professionally and they're going through the same stuff, it's it's heartening. You know, you feel like, oh, OK, I'm not alone in all this stuff. So right. that's why I think it's an essential, you know. I, I agree with you totally with, with that. Yeah. Well, okay. Right. So let let's go back to so when you got out, you you made that trip to New York. Was that a? And we're talking New York in the seven late seventies, right? Is that when you came yeah, back? Yeah. I let's see. I moved to New York after I graduated. So after I walked with the class. So that was in seventy. Um, um, I moved to New York in nineteen seventy eight. So not exactly the. It was an interesting time to be there. <laughs> 78 to 80, I was there, you know, just making my work. And, um, where'd you yeah, live? I just, oh, I lived all over. <laughs> you moved around a lot. I first moved to Claremont Avenue and then I moved to 122nd Street and I had a two bedroom apartment for like a hundred dollars a month. Stop bragging. I'm serious. No, I'm serious. I have to say that because it's really interesting for people to know like how things have changed in over time. And I use the spare bedroom as a studio. And then I wanted to be like where things were happening in those days. It was in Soho and I ended up getting a place on Fulton street near Nassau, um, an incredible loft space. And um, that's kind of where I lived. Um, that's where I lived up until 1980. I ended up going abroad, mm-hmm. um, but that's where I was. That God, was you, an amazing space. That place on 122nd, a hundred bucks for room, board, and studio. That is insane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, my the loft space that I had, which was about 2,000 square feet, <clears throat> just my own, and then mm-hmm. I shared like about a thousand square feet of kitchen. Um, a kitchen bathroom space that opened up in the middle of mine and my a roommate studio space that that was a hundred and I think seventy dollars a month oh my gosh. for seventy dollars more I got all that space so inflation today what was that what would that be like 500 bucks or something you think oh um like did that see. feel more like obviously it felt more than what a hundred no because I could afford it it was really affordable it would be something like maybe 300 bucks at the, yeah. that time so you could just you know, spend your but, time making work yeah i mean i what i did was i would you know i would work 
different jobs and then I'd make my work and then yeah. I'd work different jobs and I'd make my work. So I kind of like went saturated into, into work mode and then into making art mode. Um, you know, quitting jobs yeah. so that I could just make my art, you know, but for a long time I did. And I worked at this place called the bread shop that was on a hundred, that was on 125th and Broadway. That was mm -hmm. in Harlem. You know, no one went up to Harlem at that right, time, right. but that I worked, everyone there was an artist. There was no one there that wasn't. I worked with musicians. I worked with writers, you know, they were performing visual, you know, um, and, and literary artists. That was amazing. And I did that for a long time until I, I moved downtown. Actually, when I moved downtown, I worked at as a waitress and bartender at the bread shop. It was called the bread shop cafe that was in Tribeca area. Mm -hmm. No one was there at the time. People were just starting to like slowly recognize Tribeca. That it existed. You know? Yeah, that it existed. <laughs> and that brick roads and like something could happen there, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Leftover. Isn't right. it crazy to think of that today, you know? Oh, yeah. incredible. Did the work change a lot when you moved to New York? Yeah, it did. Um, I, I continued making the work that I left off with. Um, so when I was on 122nd Street, I still kept working on paper and painting. And then when I got to the loft space, because I really wanted big work, oddly enough, I mean, my work didn't get any bigger in that big space, which is weird because I really wanted to move there to make like 10 and 20 foot pieces. And then I didn't. I continued kind of in the same vein with painting. And then I started working even smaller. I was making artist books and, um, you know, Printed Matter had just opened up. Oh, yeah. And yes, it just opened. So, and I had been working, you know, kind of making these artist books before Printed Matter opened. Like I didn't even know other artists did it. I was just doing it on my own um, in between. So when I didn't know what I wanted to make or I was stuck with my paintings, I made books. That's what I did and used text and used words a lot actually in those books. And, um, and then I, but, but I was kind of started making sculptural stuff actually, um, at that time. So I was making, I was doing three things. I, again, you know, working between two dimensions and three dimensions, mm -hmm. making these paintings that got a little bit more loose and kind of away from the flatness that I was working with and still working on paper, rolls of paper. And then making these artist books, one of a kind and making a lot of books that, um, with language and stuff where it was one word on a page and then you could, you know, um, it, it had like, you know, these little kind of, they weren't rings, they were something else, but you could rearrange, you could write, you could make any statement you wanted. Mm -hmm. um, so it was kind of this conceptual bent, you know, maybe left over from Cal Arts was happening with the books. Um, yeah, I, everything was separated. Right. I didn't know how to merge anything, right? Yeah. I was doing this conceptual stuff and then I was doing the painting and then I started doing sculptural work. And, um, and then I started making like really big books that were, that would go. I started working on a book that was meant to go in a doorway. So you had to walk through the pages of a book in order to get from one space to another. And I yeah. built it. I made it. And a friend of mine, uh, who I adored, we were such good friends at CalArts, Abbott Burns, 
Um, he was one of the first people in New York to actually um, be diagnosed with AIDS. Mm -hmm. It was really, really rough. Um, and he's, you know, of course, deceased, unfortunately, but he saw he would we would get together all the time and have dinner and stuff. And he invited himself to work on that piece with me. Oh, wow. <laughs> never, <laughs> never, ever like collaborated with an artist. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I want to work with you. It's kind of my thing. Right. Yeah. But then he kind of challenged me on that, which was really interesting. And he said, well, you know, um, you know, don't you think it's a bit egotistical that you're saying da da da? And I said, well, I suppose you're right. Like, if you really are into the idea, then okay, let's work on it together. Right. And we did. We worked on it together. And then I, it was built and we did a small maquette model first mm -hmm. and then built the actual piece. And then there were some exhibits. There was going to be a really big artist book exhibit in Freiburg, Germany. And I submitted the work for it and it got accepted. And so we couldn't bring over the big piece. And um, I went over to represent us because they only paid for one person to go. And um, and I felt like it was my idea to begin with. So, right. um, but yeah, that was tough, you know, because I really wanted us both to be there. But um, but so that's when I went over. I sublet my loft space um, to a wonderful painter named David Chow, who I was at Cal Arts with, mm -hmm. and uh, went over to do the exhibit because I thought I want to be away for like four months. I want to travel Europe a bit. Um, they were paying for my fare, so I was going to milk it. Yeah, and. And then I did not come back from Europe until two and a half years later. Whoa, that was a long residency. You must <laughs> I didn't have loved stay it. there the whole time. No, what happened was I, I traveled around and um, I had an, you know, I kind of fell in love with someone from Barcelona and he was a linguistics major at University of Heidelberg. And I ended up going there and did not work out at all, but I had a chance to live there in Heidelberg, this wonderful little German town where all the philosophers, you know, like, you know, they had a walkway called Philosophenswegen, you know, which was amazing. It was just a university of all philosophers and existentialists. And that's when I read all my existentialism books that I didn't yeah. get in high school. It was pretty incredible. I, I had an opportunity to live in a town for like nine months and to see what it was like because I, there was, um, uh, um, a teacher at, at the college there and um, he had a sabbatical and um, he I met him through a group of people from Spain and he offered for me to live there for free and so I did of course I still had to make a living and you know bring in income but I did that and then eventually went to Berlin when the wall was still up wow. and lived in a squatted place in Kreuzberg ah, it was just those were amazing times yeah that's Amazing. that's a. It sounds like a really. I mean, you. I. I feel like I've learned so much from traveling. You know, it's yes. such a great, not only oh, such a good thing life to do. experience, but also visually. You know, just you just. It's yeah. it's so great to travel, and that sounds it like is. a good one, good trip. It is, and just you know, even colors of a place. I remember when I went to Italy, oh, the colors really affected the work that I went back and was making, you know, I was bringing just these beautiful, you know, kind of warm colors into my work, you know, yeah. so those things really definitely like, and even architecture and stuff like that, it, it kind of seeps into the work and, you know, 
sometimes even unknowingly. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, I, I feel like if, if work is open to that sort of thing, it can really yeah. be like a recharge, you know, just the different yes. light and different places can be so illuminating, I guess. Absolutely. But and yeah, culturally I mean, it's just, too, it, you know, it's yeah. just, oh my God, you know, just, yeah, just, I really made it like an effort in my life to travel every year for years after that to go someplace to another place that I had never been. Yeah. I really saw a lot of, you know, or quite a bit of the world when I was, you know, younger and, you know, which was a good thing because it's not as easy as you get older and, you know, and you start thinking about like, how am I going to survive? Will I right. ever be able to retire? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, you know, traveling and, and seeing new places, I feel like is so important because whenever, wherever you are, if you're in the same place, you kind of default, like your brain, a certain aspect of your perception, your yeah. perceptive, like I just gets into a routine. So when you go somewhere new, even if it doesn't yes. go into your work at all, you're just starting to see things in a new way, which I think exactly. is Exactly. So you do. You do. You're just looking all over because everything is new. You're you're like a sponge taking it all in, sometimes yeah. not even knowing where to look. There's so much to look at, you know, like, oh, just it's so enlightening. It's such a good thing to do as an artist and just as a person. It just really develops who you are, you know, and I think visually, definitely. Yeah. So well, when did the moment, I, well, I don't know if it was a moment, when did the transition happen to where you felt like you got this really um, a more cohesive and fluid combination of the 3D, 2D? Because that feels like it's sort of like a linchpin of the work of this. Yes. You know, the movement off yeah. the wall and flirting with the 2D, 3D border. Like when yeah. did, was that just a constant evolution or did you feel like you started to hit a stride with it and figured out how to make it work together? It was kind of a constant evolution for a long time. I mean, I've made installations up until even earlier this year, but it was a really big moment for me was in 2014. Um, uh, Deborah Brown had a gallery 10 van, a storefront 10 Van Eck. Mm -hmm. That was a great gallery. And I was invited to be in a group show there. And that marked a really major change. Um, before that, like I was invited in 2013, I started to make like small, intimate objects that were really indebted to painting mm -hmm. more than any of my other work had been. And kind of in preparation for the group show, uh, which was called Abstraction and its Discontents, um, it was the beginning of more object-based work for me that, you know, became really a focus more on painting and formal aspects that had always been in my work all along. I always had been dealing with pattern and texture and color and shape and form and all these all these elements. They've always been a huge part of my installations. It's been my language, really. Mm -hmm. But this is where it all started to come together and in a smaller format where I was able to kind of manage it. I just wanted something more intimate something you could hold in your hands versus something you walk under or walk through, which is what I had been doing all the way up to that point and still kind of continue to do on the side. But that was like the merger. That's what led to the work at the painting center. 
Yeah. That's and I've kind of always since 2014, I've kind of done I've continued to do this smaller work. You know, I've done the large installations. It's just that it gets harder and harder. Um, they're bigger and they're huge, and I need a team of people to do it. It's just harder for me to navigate and manipulate the work, um, you know, as I age. And so, um, you know, this is an important direction to go in. Not that I wouldn't do, you know, yeah. large installations. I mean, I've done some and some permanent ones for like Log Me In. I did a 15 by 15 foot, you know, piece there, you know, all with nails. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I still have done stuff where I'm playing with different materials still, but, um, you know, and I would love to have some permanent public artwork out there for sure. But this has been, you know, it's just these two ways of working from the beginning and thinking, you know, yeah. thinking, you know, something happens when it's small. You know, like it was really challenging for me to go from really large to really small and to think, how can I make a piece feel complete, you know, and full in a small space versus, you know, larger spaces, your challenge because everything's really visible and mistakes are really visible. So it's like, how do I integrate? You know, there's just, there are two ways of thinking. Definitely. Yeah, no, I've had that in my own work that kind of, yeah. for years and years, it was just all bigger work. I didn't right, know how to make right. a small painting. Yeah. <clears throat> it took me a really long time to figure out. It's, it's easy too. to make a large painting impactful because of the scale of it. Exactly. It's a real challenge to make something small that sings, that really holds a wall, you know, which is a fun, exactly. it's a fun challenge. And I agree too, like the older you get, you know, it's like stretching those gigantic canvases and oh. priming it. Like it gets to, to Having wear. assistance and stuff like that also. Yeah. Which I can't do. I never, I've never had an assistant. I have to win installing some of the work just because I had so many falls off of ladders oh, all my life. I mean, Plural? I I needed major, really Ugh. bad falls. I, I you know, for, I, the worst fall was when I did a show in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and it was a marble floor, and I was on a twenty foot ladder, installing oh, it up to the ceiling, and um, they had a team that installed it, but it didn't look right and so of course like I wanted to get up and fix it like the next day they weren't around and coming halfway down about 10 feet I fell uh -huh. and that was brutal on a metal on a, a marble floor and it's just I've fallen so many times I needed double hip surgery like almost Goodness. 10 years ago when I was you know in my 50s and I remember the hip doctor saying oh how many times have you, you are severely like oh my god you know, how have you even lived this way? You, you it's really bad. We, we have to do both hips at the same time. We can't even do one. You know, you're so deteriorated. And they asked, like, you know, how many times have you fallen off a ladder? And I said, in my lifetime? They said, yeah. And I said, I don't know, maybe 500. They're like, 500. No yeah, the, seriously. Seriously. And they're like, maybe, 500. Maybe two, and you should never have gotten on a ladder again. <laughs> Well, I just kept getting up there and doing oh it and, gosh. you know, just because it was That's like, brave. because a lot of times when I worked really large, I would work, you know, up there, you know, against the wall, really close and manipulate things. And then I get down the ladder quickly and stand back to see how it looked. And then I get back up on the ladder, you know, things that were attached to the wall, especially. So I'd have to go back and forth, up and down and up and yeah. down, like, you know, sometimes 20 times in one day, you know, with one piece. So and that was frequent and common. So that was, yeah, 
You need yeah, a little they, cherry they, picker. Like they asked one if I was a football picker. player. They asked. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I played for Cal Arts. I was a starting linebacker. <laughs> when I told them I was an artist, they're like, oh, my God, what kind of work do you do? Like, they couldn't fathom it, you know. Kickboxing but, uh, performance art. <laughs> right. And now, you know, it's really bad. Like, I, I really, you know, it's not good for me to get up on ladders. I still I do on occasion, should, but I don't just a rung that, or two. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, cherry it's picker. why I have I to you should get have assistance. Little... I have one of my old students who I just adore, um, Adrian, um, he is a person that, you know, he, he's been my main squeeze in terms of helping me with installations. He's been wonderful. He's really a techie. He knows a lot about building and just weight and balance. And he's just been great. I don't That's know what good. I would do without him if he, if he, I'm screwed really without him, but he's been yeah, wonderful. I said that I've never had an assistant. I guess that's kind of a lie because I do these days have stretchers made for me and like I'll yeah. have them stretched because my yeah. hands are like, I've done so right. many and done so much like small scale collage with my fingers yes. that it's yes. gone, like it's, are you getting a little arthritis? Are they getting stiff? A little. Yeah. And plus I play guitar my whole life too. So guitar, oh, right, painting, right. collage. Oh and my gosh. Right. I'm the kid who grips a pencil like it. If I let really go, tight? I'm going to die. <laughs> like I, I strangle that I have thing. a bump on my finger because of that. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I have the same yep. thing. They tried Isn't to fix it funny? when I was young and it didn't take. So I yeah. just like grip that thing. And so my whole, yeah, it's, it's tough. Yeah, that is really hard. And you're right, you know, your your hands are your thing. It's your livelihood and it's your, you know, I mean, it's really scary. I mean, uh, Why do you think Matisse, I started this? What was Matisse, yeah. This is <laughs> trying to move to my mouth, so I have backup. <laughs> so when this stops working, I have something to do. <laughs> it's an insurance oh. policy. So I'm not bored so off my ass when I'm 70. <laughs> <laughs> is it guitar that you play is that the instrument that you play yeah well i play a few but yeah guitar is the main one yeah 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 so right fingers same yeah. deal yeah same deal and i i have found even working small it's i still grip really tight you know yeah. and i've started getting things like trigger finger have you gotten that yet oh yeah yeah definitely and i oh, have that gosh. french one i'm starting to get where you're your fingers go in here like it's oh my dad had surgery for it and um is that purple tunnel no it's a, it's there's a french word for it it's a different oh. phenomenon where this finger your pinky finger goes in it's not straight oh, anymore. interesting and it'll start I, oh, to wow. actually do that over time where it locks in place oh wow and my, That's tough. my dad had to have that surgery where they go in and they fix the ligaments the, yes and did so it he, work for him it, it works really well, supposedly, but it's a genetic thing, and he thought it'd be cool to send me a photo of the open hand, which was, like, showing oh, me what no. I had in store for me in, like, 20 years. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But it's, I mean, it's pretty gnarly. I was just going to say, so have you decided to do it, or are you still putting it off? Well, I haven't been diagnosed with it yet. You know what I mean? Oh, like, okay. I could tell Oh, so this is something that that's going to... Yeah, it'll uh, it's, lead a to look, that. it's a little gift to look forward to as I get older. It's just like deciding <laughs> if I'm going to be proactive about it or just put it off until I can't right, use my hand right. anymore. But I yeah. teach with uh, Robert Yarberth, you know, artist. Yeah, yeah, great. Extraordinary oh, genius gentleman. Wow. And uh, he had the same thing. He was, you know, it was oh. affecting his painting and he had to have surgery yeah. on his hand. But they did it and he's he's back at it. I'm going to need surgery. 
um, unfortunately, and they're saying carpal tunnel is leading to the trigger fingers and it's just so painful and my my fingers are really getting stiff because of it and it's like oh god that's like the most frightening thing to me is like you know this i need to use my hand so right. yeah you know no, and then you worry tough. like you hope that nothing goes wrong and that the doctor is a good doctor and like, right. you know it's not going to screw up something well, start just as a backup. I'm not saying anything's going to happen. Start drawing with the left. And then it won't kill you to start drawing with your toes. Just to give it a shot. <laughs> now, here's the interesting thing. I am. I was born left-handed. Nice. And so you have a, in the have 50s, in the 50s, they put a brace on my right hand in first grade because of this witchery thing of being left-handed. And they forced me to become right-handed. Oh so gosh. when I'm in the studio, I will, if I'm working with any kind of like paint or material, my left hand is often as full of paint or charcoal or whatever as my right hand, but it uh. is completely unconscious. I have no recollection of working with my left hand. You're lucky. Uh, you have some so, facility there. But right? toes, yeah, toes is the next thing. I think so, right? Or AI. <laughs> or AI, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Make a Let's Susan painting. Like, yeah. It's just printed out. <laughs> we won't go people, down that road. I know. I know. I was just yeah, going to yeah, say because people are doing other, it. They're yeah, animal. Worms. It is. It is. So, what's your regiment like these days? I mean, you are you in the studio often? Do you work? Do you have a studio where you're living? Or I have a studio um, outside. So I did have a studio in the basement, and I was just so uninspired um, that I just I hated it. It's a small home. We just have a small cape and. There wasn't enough light coming in and I just need light, you know, to yeah. kind of, it's like music. I need music to get in a mood and I need light to get in a mood. And so I, for, um, for a long time now, I've been renting at Erector Square in New Haven. Um, that is a wonderful place to, to, um, to work. There's like over 500 artists there. And it used to be where they made, you know, Erector train sets. Yeah. And so I have a really great space on a first floor, which is really impossible to get. And um, and so I go in there. So I really try to get in there. Sometimes, like when I'm between between um, semesters, I will get in there every day and work. Yeah. Otherwise, when I'm teaching, I get in there. Um, I try to get in there. Uh, right now, I've been teaching just two days a week, so I try to get in there at least three days a week and yeah. sometimes on the weekends when I can, you know, I, um, my husband and I, like he, he doesn't live home a lot of the time because he's like a live in nurse. So, um, when he comes home, I just really try to make time for him. And mm -hmm. when he's not home and sometimes he's away, like, you know, he'll be away for sometimes months. Then I will, yeah, I'll go in and just work in the studio all the time. And That's it's great. great. I really kind of get this, you know, this mojo going, I really kind of, you know, I just like everything's trigger, uh, all the triggers are on fire or however you say it, you know, I'm just yeah. completely um, energized and it's great when it happens. Like this is just, you know, this last show is coming out of a really big body of work in 14 months. I created like 33 pieces know 19 are in the show mm -hmm. but i am still so excited about this work and just i'm going to go back in and continue like i really could see these pieces being gigantic like seven and ten feet 
But see, there I go again. Well, that's why you're watching make something really big that's gonna. <laughs> no ladders. Do it all. On and the, the floor. other thing is storage. Oh my God, oh, storage yeah. is such an issue. You know. Yeah. I've, my whole basement is completely filled up with storage. I mean, it's like a. It's dangerous. It's a trap. You know. It. God forbid. You know. Just it would set the house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's nice too. You're um, being in New Haven. You're adjacent to Good Pizza while you're taking a studio oh, break. Oh my gosh, yes. I, that's the I one used thing to I be a Pepe's person, but I'm totally, totally gone over to Sally's. Oh really? I've no, I don't even know if I've ever done Sally's. I'm sure. I oh, Sally's twice, is just is really cool. completely come up. You know, so I mean, Pepe's is is great. Don't get me wrong, but. Oh, I don't know. Sally's just, they have made it so thin crusted and it's less greasy and it's just uh, really, that's, if you come to New Haven, I will bring you to Sally's. Is Sally's across the street from Pepe's or in the same street? It's right before, it's on the same street, but it's like at the beginning of the street. Right, right. And Pepe's is like more towards the end of the street. Yeah. Can I tell yeah. you a secret? And this is between us. No one's listening. Yes. Um, recently... I've gotten into Sicilian pizza, like a deeper, the real thick. Yeah, well, not Chicago style. I don't think, but it's thick. Don't and tell dry, anyone. really I'm dry, a New Yorker, right? Don't tell anyone. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's kind of like yeah, it's like bready, but I'm it's really bready. been into it recently. I mean, oh, there's that, a place it's right almost by like me, a Carmel. focaccia, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. and uh, I know that because when I, I went to Italy, it. yeah, you know, when I went to Italy. And I asked for, you know, pizza. I was so shocked to see that it wasn't really thin like what I grew up with. It right. was like this really thick kind of focaccia. And I I didn't like it. It was all bready. But, I mean, I love the toppings. You know, these herbs that they would put on oh, top in yeah, the olive stuff. oil was amazing, you know. And it was sometimes like if you went to a really good vendor, it would it wasn't too too dry it would seep into you the know oil. the dough more yeah yeah it's yeah. like that nice like olive oil moistness yeah. to it but yeah being in new haven you get that's, yeah. that's one of the perks I mean, it really is a lot one of, people of the don't perks know about it's it. like i know it's like just they and they have modern i mean they have and now they have the bar has really good pizza there you yeah. know so it is a pizza city it right, really is. you know yeah yeah and they're all really different like they all have their different flavors so you know they're good they're all very good that's like the things that i miss about new haven was you know my studio the pizza and then rudy's bar i don't know if it's still there rudy's clothes well no rudy's transformed i think it be well they did close for a while and i you know i don't even know i used to hang out at rudy's all the time and um I heard that they the the area where they were with that building or that their site was bought and I don't know what's happened. I haven't even like really checked out the downtown scene for a while, but that was yeah. Where did you have your studio? Were you in one of the Yale buildings? Yeah, when I was there it was the art and architecture, the Rudolph. I was Oh, oh. Oh, it was the Rudolph building. Yeah. Boy, that's like such a bunker building. <laughs> yeah, it's brutal. And yeah, I it's the, brutal. Yeah, the pit was gruesome. So we would escape that by going to Rudy's at night. And oh, I played, yeah. you know, I played music, so our band would play there. And I also played in like a Latin jazz band. And we would play at Rudy's for hours. And just, yeah, it was just amazing. Oh, I wonder if I, I probably heard you. <laughs> <laughs> because when were you there? I'm trying to remember, in the 90s? 98 and 99. 
oh my God. I mean, I hung out there all throughout the 90s. So I am sure that I have probably heard you. That is so crazy. I have to listen to, you'll have to send me what your music was if you have anything from that time. Yeah. 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 That would be great. Oh my gosh. That yeah, was, and Rudy's was a cool joint because I Rudy's remember one time. Rudy's was the place to go. Yeah, we were doing, and it's small, you know, so the band, oh, yeah. there was like no space in there. We would pack that right. place, oh. which wasn't hard. And the Latin yeah. jazz band, I remember one time we were playing, we would play for oh. hours. And uh, we looked up Latin and it was jazz. the dude from Wilco was watching us play. Oh, and my then gosh. someone was like, that's the guy, that's Jeff Tweedy. And they were like, yeah, they played at Frogs or Froggies or whatever. Oh, toads, Toads, Toads. <laughs> They played at Toads and then they came over to watch us play, which was really cool. But I mean, oh, there were some great memories in that place. What a dive crap hole bar, but it was awesome. It was a dive crap hole bar. You're right. We had like a, a sort of like, you know, a bunch of guys that I played music with and we put together this Latin jazz band called Cabeza de Vaca and we would just oh. play. Cabeza de Vaca, the wait, mouth, Cabeza, the head of the head of the cow but right. Cabeza de Vaca was a guy and the upright bass player was like a he worked at uh Atlas and he uh the guys that he worked with were all like Latino guys who was, uh, spoke Spanish so he learned all this he learned this sort of like you know that version of Spanish and Ugh. whenever we ha- were talking about a, a name he was like oh, Cabeza de Vaca and there was some story behind it I forget what it was but that's fun. such a great name. It's yeah. perfect. And I love Latin jazz. Oh, my gosh. Oh, me I mean, too. Tito yeah. Puente and all of them. Uh, you know, when I lived in Harlem, it was all happening there at that time. There was jazz happening right on the streets. I mean, all these amazing, famous jazz musicians lived up there. A lot yeah. of them taught at Manhattan School of Music. A lot of them just, you know, lived in the area. You know, it was Spanish Harlem at that point. It's like salsa heaven, you know. Oh my gosh! Yes, love yeah, salsa. I know. I miss now, though, that's that music, music I listen to often in my studio. Yeah, dance mania. You put that on, and you can't help but start moving. Joy Baton, and like, yeah, there's so much good stuff. Yeah, really good stuff. Really gets me in the mood to work. It's so funny. I talked to Rochelle Feinstein, who was my teacher in I, grad oh. school, and she used to go salsa dancing at the same place on Delancey that I would go with, where I'm would go dancing with my then girlfriend, but my wife, and uh, the Parkside Lounge in Manhattan. Oh, Parkside Lounge! Really great Latin jazz, and we would go dancing yes. all the time. So it was like oh this God. weird Latin jazz, like continuing thread. So are you a good salsa dancer? Uh no, serviceable, but I wasn't <laughs> blowing anyone away. I never took any lessons and stuff, but I like to. But you watch and you fun. learn. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I, I have really. I mean, I can play music, so I've. That's all you need. Is yeah. Rhythm. As long as yes, you can move that's the right. beat, that's what you need. Exactly. If you can't, that's not a good look for salsa. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so what do you have coming up? Or do you have anything that, or how can people find your work and sort of follow what you're doing? Um, well, I, yeah, there are some things that are going to come up um, this next year. Uh, so Sorry. There are some just group shows that are going to be coming up mm-hmm. um, upstate, like more towards Kingston area, I think, on the Hudson, but I'm not jinxing anything yet. Right, right. <laughs> and um, I'm really hoping for some more solo shows. We'll see what happens. Um, not a lot on the horizon right now, 
So in some ways, it's great. I'm just going to really take advantage of this time and go into my studio and use the studio as much as possible. Is Instagram or your website the best place for people to, to yeah. find your work and check yeah. out what you're doing? I'm hoping to really redo the website soon. It's just it's so old. I mean, I have not added anything since 2015. So what's up there? I think that's a lot is, of people. I think websites are kind yeah. of, you know, it's uh, it's hard these days. It's so much work to do, but I have to do it. So my website is best, which is um, www.susanchutan.com. And it's S-U-Z-A-N-S-H-U-T-A-N. And um, Instagram is S Shutan, S S H U T A N. I try to post there often. I am on LinkedIn and I am on, you know, like a whole lot of other sites. I tweet. <laughs> but tweet? I, do, nice. I do, I tweet, but I, I haven't figured out like how to tweet pictures yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> but know, I'm I tweeting. Even, I don't even tweet, so I don't know. And Elon's oh. not making me want to tweet any any more I than know. I ever did. So Oh gosh, right, right. Really I'm on the verge of we'll see what happens, but I will leave, you know, if it's not, you know if he keeps kind of um becoming so censoring, you know, if he yeah, just yeah. continues to censor like he is, that's I'm out. Yeah, he's going trying off. to find another platform. He's going off the Kanye. Oh my gosh, really? It's yeah, wild yeah. out there. Yeah, but you are. It is on, getting wild. I, Instagram is the best thing because people can see images. I think. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. That would be like the best way. And then hopefully, I'll this year. I'm hoping to update the website, and so people will be able to see all the new work that's been done. And you know, if they go to the painting center. New York City Painting Center. Um, there, if they go to past shows, because now I'm a past show, and they just look up my name, um, if they click on it, it takes you also to um, to the website to um, to what's the site <laughs> everyone's on? Artsy. Um, yeah, it takes you to Artsy, and then you can see the All whole the show there. Yeah, yeah. Also, if you want to see the whole show, perfect. But, yeah. Well, listen, lovely to talk to you and meet. It has been so nice. I really have enjoyed myself totally. It's great to me. Yeah. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to soundandvisionpodcast.com. Images at Instagram at Sound Vision Podcast. Find out more about my work at brianalfred.net or at Alfred Studio on Instagram. Many thanks to Fulcrum Coffee Roasters, Golden Artist Colors in the New York Studio School. Many thanks to Susan for taking the time out to talk. Check out Why I Make Art, the official podcast book of Sound Vision, available on Altillier Editions. You can get it on platforms like Amazon, Altelier Edition's website, anywhere you get books. Happy New Year to everyone. I hope you all have an amazing 2023. Looking forward to a lot of great conversations. Got a lot of great guests lined up. So make sure you stay tuned. If you can, take a moment, leave a rating, a review on any platform that you listen to the podcast. It helps spread the word to other people.